Kent Moonhank, let's show him some love. All right, so like Pastor said, I, um, I just came back from uh, Papua New Guinea. I was over there teaching some new missionaries. So I'm kind of the old guy now, you know, gray beard and all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, we've been in Papua New Guinea for over 25 years. And so what I want to do is I want to try and pass some of the, the things that I have learned on to new missionaries. In fact, there's a lot of things that missionaries that have been there for years do not understand. Um, I have had experience, I could give you names and I will not, of people who have been there literally for 20 years and they just don't understand how the culture works. They're confused, they're befuddled before the culture. And I don't want that with new missionaries. I want them to go in and I want them to understand. There's a lot of things that Papua New Guinea does differently than we do just because it's culture. Like we do things that, that really don't have a backstory that, that just because of our culture. Like, why do we wear black at funerals? How do, why do we wear black at funerals, though? Why? To show mourning. Well, whoever decided that black was a sign of mourning? Huh? Queen Victoria did. Oh, good for her. So we can bring it over from her. I did not know that. <laughs> so it's, but it's just a cultural thing, True. It's not really part of, but there's a lot of things that happen in a culture that have a backstory. And some of the things that I was trying to teach them were very practical. And, one of the, and what I'm looking at this morning is one of the things I wanted to try and help them to understand because it's just a practical way of getting around. So by way of introduction, there was, when we first got to Papua New Guinea, um, we ended up out at a station, a mission station with some other missionaries, and there was an older couple that was just about ready to retire, and they kind of were given the task to look after us, to help us to, you know, understand some things, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one Sunday morning, we were going to go to church. Um, her husband couldn't make it, and uh, my wife, well, the kids were not really um, having uh, a good day. And so she sent me off ahead, and so me and this older lady, we went to a church. We walked about 10 minutes down to the village, and we sat in the church. And the pastor began, you know, after some singing and stuff like that, you would have recognized it, somewhat Western, the way they do things. But after some singing and stuff, then a guy got up and started preaching. And as he began to preach, I didn't understand much of what he was trying to say because he was speaking in, uh, the, in, the, um, in the trade language there, and I was still just learning the trade language. And so I didn't understand a lot of what he was saying. But what I did understand is that somehow the people were getting it. Because over there, they're very expressive when they get it. If they start to hear something they understand, it's like... So they start tisking. You know how you can do that, right? So everybody on this side, give me a tisk. Okay, good. Remember that. Okay, try it one more time louder. Good, good. And now, now the rest of you guys, when they make a really good point, when it's really strong, they go, aye. All right, everybody with me. Aye. Right. And so, so here we go. So when I point to you, that's what you got to do, all right? So he's preaching along, and he makes a point, and all of a sudden you hear, Good, good. And he makes another point, and you hear this. Good, good. And then, and then he makes another point, and you hear, Aye. Aye. And, and then he starts making the other points, and pretty soon it's, Aye. everybody together, and these people are getting it. 
These people are understanding what he's trying to say. And I remember as we left that place that there were some men that they were sitting there with their heads bowed and other men were going around them, gathering around them to pray. And there were some women on the women's side. They separate sides. And on the women's side, there were some ladies that were crying and people were gathered together, praying together. Something happened. I didn't hear it. I didn't understand it, but I could feel it. Something happened. And we were walking home And for that 10 minutes, we started talking. And the lady asked me, well, what did you think of the service? And I said, well, um, you know, I, 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 I didn't understand everything that was going on, but it, it seemed like the people there understood. And her response was, I know, I know, but I wish he would just say what he was trying to say. And I didn't understand. She didn't understand the way that he was working. She was frustrated after having been there for years and years. She was frustrated that the preacher didn't really, I guess what you might say, give the main idea. Because the way we do things in our culture is very different from how they do things over there. Um, when we, we are products of what you might call Greek thought. And so we have what we call linear thinking, all right? So even this morning as I'm speaking, it's going to be in a very linear fashion. Why? Because that's how we, from with a Greek thought, that's how we understand things. For instance, if I was going to explain that A equals D, how would I do that? I would explain and I would say, well, first of all, A equals B, right? You've heard this before, right? Yes? And then B equals C. And then I would demonstrate that, well, C equals D. Therefore, A equals D. In fact, this is just like an uh, old preacher. A preacher asked, he was uh, training some lay pastors back in about 1900. And he asked uh, a lay pastor, well, how do you put your sermons together? And he said, well, first I tells them what I'm going to tell them. A equals D. Then I tells them. And then I tells them what I told them. <laughs> and that's how we do things. It's very linear, right? You understand this. Well, that's not the way it works in other cultures. Not every culture is Greek, has Greek thought. Not every culture has linear thinking. In fact, if you were going to go to Papua New Guinea, it would shatter that whole idea. And the pastor would come up first and he would say something like, well, B equals C. And then he would move on from there and say, well, D equals B. Right? And then he would say, well, A equals C. Hey, there we go. <laughs> and then, then he would move on from there and prove that, well, A equals B. You understand that their sermons take a lot longer than ours. <laughs> and, and finally, he might finish up his short sermon with C equals D. And everybody in the entire place is going, you got it. But never once, never once does he make that main idea clear. Never once does he say A equals D. You see that? Never once does he give the main idea. And in some ways, this is a good way because people discover the main idea for themselves. 
That's one of the things that a good speaker does. That You will see Alan, he will lead you through things to help you discover things as he discovered them. And that way it sticks in your mind better, right? If you feel like, if you look at things and you are led through and you discover things for yourself, do you remember those better than if, you, uh, if you're taught them? Yes? Yeah, generally speaking. And so in this way, this is how they speak. They do things in a global manner. So this is global thinking versus linear thinking. This happens not only in, in messages in Papua New Guinea and stuff like that. This, often, this happens in the Bible. And so that's why it's important for us. That's why it's important for the new missionaries so they can understand why the people are speaking, why they do, why they take so long perhaps, why the people are responding the way they do, and to even look for the main idea amongst all the points. For us, we like the nice linear thing, you know, A, B, C equal, you know, all that other. Well, I just spent 30 weeks this uh, last uh, semester, last couple of semesters, 30 weeks, 30 hours, teaching on 1 John. And if you have ever studied 1 John, he does not follow a linear fashion, all right? He is going around, and you have got it. You studied it, you know. He goes around and around. That is global thinking. You have, you have read what global thinking is because they want to go first. And what is great here is when commentators, I like to have a, a nice outline. When I'm teaching something, I like to have a nice little outline of a book so that if somebody asks me a question, you know, it's a very simple outline. It's like, okay, that would probably be in chapter three, eh, probably somewhere in the middle, and I can find an answer because I have at least a vague idea of what's going on. You don't do that with John. What's really fun is when you see commentators try to make an outline for 1 John, and they don't understand global thinking. They're adorable. They're adorable. Because what they'll do is they'll start and they'll say, well, you know, point one is this, and point two is this. This is literal. I'm actually giving you one. Point three is this. And, and then, well, John, he, he goes on an aside. That's what they call it, aside. And he goes on an aside. And then he goes on another aside. And then while well, he reaches point four, and he goes on it. You know what the guy's saying? The guy's saying basically he's chasing bunny. He's going down rabbit trails. John doesn't really understand what he was trying to say. He's, 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 he's going down rabbit trails, like me. When I teach sometimes. <laughs> you ever had that high school or college professor that you, uh, that you uh, would ask questions and he'd start going down a rabbit trail and you'd just keep feeding him questions? And I see people way nodding their head because that way he'd never get to the material, right? He'd just follow rabbit trails the whole day. <laughs> well, that, that's what they think John is doing. That's because they don't understand that John works differently. They think it should be linear like this. One, two, three. But John, well, he gets, goes from point A to point B or point one to point two. And then he goes on down and he gets to point three. But then what does he do from there? Well, he circles back. And then from there he goes, well, down to the next point. But, but from there, does he just keep going? No. He goes there and then now he circles back again. And, and then he circles back again. And now he's back to point one, and then, they, oh, now he's down to point five. And he just keeps going all over the place. That's your outline of First John. And that's not even complete. But that's First John. How do you write that in linear fashion? You don't. You don't. It's not linear. And so when we try to force 
our idea of linear thinking on the Bible, we miss a lot of things. We miss a lot of things. Um, During COVID, um, when the churches were shut down, our church tried to do this little uh, thing where we put out like a a two-minute, five-minute thing Every, every week to try and, you know, just a little, actually it was every couple of days, trying to, you know, kind of like a devotional. And the pastor asked me to do the first one, and it was on the Beatitudes. Hmm, the Beatitudes. The greatest message given by the greatest preacher of all time. How many times have you heard a message on the Beatitudes? Oh, come on, everybody here. When was the last time you preached on the Beatitudes, Alan? Long time ago. Wow, that's not normal. <laughs> because that gets preached a lot. You like to go through books, which, is, which I really enjoy. <laughs> and, and so, but, but Beata, everybody here, you know, everybody here probably can recite the first, maybe one, maybe two. Anybody remember what the first Beatitude is? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Very good. Somebody got one. Somebody got one. That's the first one, because most of these Beatitudes, what people will do is they will try and preach a a series on these, and they'll get through the first one, and then they'll somehow connect the second one to the first one, and then tenuously there's kind of this this third one that attaches to the first two, and by the time they get to the fourth one, it just blows up and they quit, and they start preaching something else. I'm not even joking. Most people can probably recognize the first three Beatitudes. Beyond that, you're like, oh, that's one? I didn't remember that one. (laughs) Because most people, they just bail out after three or four. I remember a pastor that he worked really hard, and he was going to teach through them. And he did teach through all eight, mind you. To his credit, I'm not sure. <laughs> Nevertheless, he's kind of a friend of mine, so I don't want to badmouth him. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, he worked through it. He got through the first one. He got through the second one, kind of added the third one, pulled some tangential sort of related thing on the fourth one, and by then it was just a dumpster fire, and he just you know ramrodded through the last ones. And then he, same guy, came back and said, I've got it figured out. I heard somebody else speak on it, and he spoke on it, and he got through the first four, and they somewhat related, and after that, dumpster fire. It just didn't work. Why? Because somehow he was trying to relate these things to each other in a linear fashion, that this one followed this one, and it followed this one, and it just kept on moving down, and each one was related. And it became very convoluted, because if you think about this, Who was Jesus speaking to? Was he speaking on a mountaintop to philosophers who were skilled at deep thinking? Is that where he gave the Sermon on the Mount? No. No, these were simple people. He just went up on a hill. A bunch of people gathered, starting with his disciples, and there was a lot more than 12. He had just finished calling his 12 disciples, and there were others that would would still join him. And he just started speaking. They were simple people. They were simple people. And if you have something that's convoluted and difficult to follow, that's probably not what Jesus was saying. Because it was simple. And if we look at it in the right way, then we begin to understand that what Jesus was doing was he was trying to introduce the kingdom of heaven. 
See, this was really one of his first messages. He just finishes calling the, they, they really is viewed as one of his calling of disciples, his first miracles, all of this together is the beginning of his ministry, and then bam, here's the Sermon on the Mount. Both Luke and uh, Matthew record some of it. Um, and, and he starts speaking. Simple people. What he's trying to do, he's, he's trying to introduce the kingdom of God. Because there's something very different between the kingdom of God that we experience in the Bible and the kingdom of heaven, or the king, or sorry, the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world is very different from the kingdom of God. Would you agree with that one? Well, hopefully by the time you're done, you'll agree definitely. Because if you look at the first beatitude, what is the first beatitude? Well, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, Luke, when he records this, he, he just says, blessed are the poor. Because, you know, the people there, they're simple. They're poor. And they're like, you had me at poor. You had me at poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do the poor get in this world? What do the poor receive? Well, in some places, they get government handouts. But the poor in that time didn't get much of anything. In fact, they were the ones that got picked on, right? It talks about elsewhere in, uh, in James. It says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Remember, the rich could bribe the judge. So they, the rich could take what you had if you're poor. So if you were poor, you got poor. If you were rich, you got richer. Hang on. Doesn't that sound like something that the world would say? The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. The kingdom of heaven, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of this world, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Jesus moves on. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Is that true? Is that true in this world? Well, in the church, hopefully. But how many people like to hang around in this world somebody who is mourning? Oh, they go by and they pat them on the shoulder, and then they go out to the clubs. Are they going out with people who are mourning? <laughs> no. No, they want to go with people who are fun, who are lively, who are bright, right? The person who's the life of the party. Is the life of the party, if you say somebody is the life of the party, are you talking about somebody who's happy and gregarious or somebody who's mourning? Which one is it? Yeah, the happy and the gregarious one. Because in this world, the mourn don't get comforted. Rather, laugh and the world laughs with you. Cry and you cry alone. The kingdom of heaven, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Who's the meek person? The meek person is the one who puts others ahead of himself. He's the one who lets others get in line in front of him. Hmm, how meek are we, huh? <laughs> Somebody butts in front of us in the, uh, sto in the uh, line of the grocery store. That's not really fun. I'll just go to the pickup, thank you. <laughs> um, blessed are the meek, 
Anybody here watch NASCAR? Yeah, that might work for a little while. You know, some guy will let another person pass, and, you know, because, you know, he's not quite as fast as us. But when it comes down to the end of the race, is that, ni- is that guy being nice anymore? No, he's bumping them out of the way. He's sliding, sliding them up the track. He's getting them out of the way. Why? Because in the kingdom of heaven, blessed are the meek, for they inherit the earth. But in the world, hmm, nice guys finish last. True? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are people who are striving for something. When you're hungry, you are looking for food, right? You are striving for food. When was the last time you were really hungry? I know it doesn't happen a lot in America, but you were really, really hungry and there wasn't any food around. You're looking for food. It doesn't, I mean, you're just hungry as all get out. You don't care if it's potato chips. You don't care if it's a hot dog. You don't care what it is. Okay, personal preference, sorry. (laughs) You don't care what it is. You're looking for food. If you're really thirsty, you're looking for something to drink. You might be on a diet, but man, that lemonade full of sugar, I'm, I'm thirsty, that down it goes, right? When you're really thirsty, you're striving for something. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. These are simple, poor people. They understood hunger. They understood thirst. They understood striving for something. In this world, what do we strive for? What do we strive for nowadays? Well, maybe back in the day... For those of you who are old as me, back in the 80s and 90s, it was whoever had the most toys wins, right? Yeah, the old people are laughing because they understand. That's like me. (laughs) Whoever has the most toys wins. Well, today it might be a little bit different. Whoever gets the most likes or has the most followers, they win. True? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Hmm. Satisfaction in this world is very different than hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Oh, everybody likes somebody who is merciful, right? Oh, everybody likes somebody who's merciful. When was the last time that you saw a DA, district attorney, or a judge run on the platform of mercy? I will be looking for those who need mercy, for those who have run afoul of the system and they need a little bit of mercy, a little bit of help, and I want to give them mercy. How many of you are voting for them? Yeah, they don't run on that. You don't ever hear that. Why? Justice. I will give them justice. I will have stronger penalties. Three strikes and you are out doesn't matter if you steal a bag of potato chips on the third time. You're doing time. And we go, yeah, vote. If somebody was running on the platform of mercy, or if you saw a judge giving mercy to people, what would be your thoughts? Wonder who's paying him off. If you give mercy, if a judge, if somebody gives mercy, 
they're suspect. If a principal of a school gives mercy to a bully, hmm, they're suspect, aren't they? Anybody who gives mercy, you don't trust them very much. Kind of a little skeptical, wondering where they're getting their benefit. Because in the world, trust is won hard, but lost easy. You don't trust them. You just don't trust those who give mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. Boy, now Jesus is really honing in on it. But he's, because he's talking about motives. What is your motive for doing things? What are people's motives? When was the last time even us, we do things out of a totally a pure heart? Sometimes we always think in the back of our mind there's some sort of gain. Am I here, standing here, out of a pure heart? Am I here simply because I want to explain something for you and hopefully that you've received a blessing? I darn well hope that that's the case. But always in the back, you wonder, do I have some ulterior motive? Hmm. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now, I know in this world, people are pure in heart, right? That Nigerian prince that, you know, emailed you and wants to give you $27.4 million, oh, he has nothing but the best intentions, right? I mean, those Amazon gift cards, those really are going to get the ball rolling. Yeah, right? True? Yes? No? Everybody's kind of like, um... Yeah, I responded to one of those. Last time I responded to one of those, I was kind of on a church account selling things, and somebody was trying to scam me, and it was like, I wonder how long I can play this out. (laughs) I decided I had to stop because it wasn't going to go well. (laughs) Um, Blessed are the pure in heart. When was the last time you went to a car dealership, even now, and you trusted everything they said? If you would raise your hand, please don't. You're gullible. <laughs> oh, yes, we'll give you these dealer add-ons. And oh, yes, we, will, we won't charge you the whatever the new price that they put on top of these things are. We'll, we'll give it to you as long as you finance through us. Hmm. And, and they have great interest rates, right? Only slightly worse than the mafia and, you know, a loan shark. <laughs> So if, you mur- so if you go through them, it's fine, right? Blessed are the pure in heart. In this world, there's no such thing as a free lunch. No such thing as a free lunch because, well, the motive is there. They're not going to give you something free without asking for it. Just, just, just a heads up, okay? I understand that this might be shocking news for you, but, but when you get this invitation to a free gourmet dinner, it's not free. <laughs> Just telling you. <laughs> you have to listen to a long sales pitch. And it's not really low pressure. It's pretty high pressure. I haven't gone to one, but my parents did. And, well, they, they bought a loan share, a timeshare, I mean. <laughs> you know how hard it was to get rid of that timeshare? Holy smokes. <laughs> it was terrible. <sighs> 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemakers. It's dangerous to be a peacemaker, isn't it? Think about two kids fighting on the playground. And you're a kid, and you're going to jump in between them, and you're going to try and get them to stop fighting. What happens to you? Boom! (laughs) You get it from both sides, right? Yes? Do you know what the day most... Do we have any law enforcement officers here? Do we have any police? Anybody? We do have over over here? All right. What is the most dangerous call to go on? The most dangerous call. In fact, there are some jurisdictions where a single officer cannot, is prohibited by procedural law, by procedural rules, they are not allowed to go to this type of call on their own. They can't do it. What is it? Domestic violence. They have to stage away and wait for another officer to show up, and then they both go in together because it's dangerous. Domestic violence is dangerous to be a peacemaker. Officers get shot. They get beat up. They die. Watch the news. Listen to the news. Every once in a while, depending upon what news feeds and stuff you have, talk to uh, police officers, and they tend to be on, uh, on news feeds that, uh, that you know, tell you what's going on around the country. And how often does, somebody get, uh, does an officer get injured on a domestic dispute? Somebody pulls out a gun, and the first one they shoot is the officer. It's dangerous. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. (laughs) When it comes to foreign policy, anybody remember Theodore Roosevelt's take on foreign policy? That's it. That's it. Walk softly and carry a big stick. We're the peacemakers today. We have Ukraine and Russia fighting. We're the peacemakers We're arming one side or the other, but where's the peacemakers? Well, they learned a long time ago that that didn't work. Any of you, any old people like me out there that you remember these UN peacekeeping force? Why did they abandon that? Hmm, because peacemaking doesn't work in this world. But in the kingdom of heaven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The persecuted ones. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Um, Luke, he puts it a little bit differently. Blessed are those who are, um, let's see if I have here, um, those who are basically, um, who are reviled against, who are picked on, who are whatever. Blessed are the bullies, bullied, I mean. Not the bullies. The blessed are the bullied. Who gets picked on? The one that is perceived to be strong or the one that is perceived to be weak? If you're perceived to be weak, you get picked on. You get bullied. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness' sake. <coughs> blessed are you when you are reviled for the name of Jesus. Does the world view us as weak 
Oh, you have religion. That's just a big cosmic crutch. You can't handle life on your own, so you have to have this higher power. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In this world, are the persecuted blessed? No. No. Because in this world, might makes right. True? So, Jesus finishes his eight Beatitudes. What's his main idea? Never once does he give the main idea. He has eight points to his sermon. A good sermon is supposed to have an illustration at the start. Did you remember I had an illustration at the start? And then it has three points. Well, I had a few more than three points. It has three points, and then it has a poem at the end, right? Well, this one had eight points. <laughs> but you know what? I'll bet the people there, they were making those sounds. Because they understood. What do you think his point was? What was his main idea? He never stated it. But I think we've kind of fleshed it out here. The main idea that he wanted to give is the kingdom of heaven is very different from the kingdom of this world. At this point, he was just introducing the kingdom of heaven. It was a brand new idea. In fact, if you look through Matthew, um, the, about the first ten, about three, two-thirds of the way through the uh, tenth chapter, it's being presented as something that is here and now, something that can occur now, something that, that, is, that is present is before them, that they can see. It is, it is being some, something that is being presented as here and now. And then suddenly, it shifts focus. It's not the here and now. It's not the physical kingdom. It's the heart. It's the heart. And from there, it moves on through the rest of his ministry. Jesus presents the kingdom of heaven as something that is in the heart. And it was the same in the Old Testament. He wanted people's hearts. How on earth could David be called somebody after God's own heart? After all he did. Because after all, I've never killed anybody. But do we have a heart for God? Because, see, Jesus is a master preacher. And he gave this message. And yes, this is the main idea. The kingdom of heaven is very different from the kingdom of this world. But you know what? Him being the master that he was, this message can have really two main ideas. And the second main idea is simply that the kingdom of heaven is all-encompassing. It encompasses every part of your life. Not just your actions, but the intent of your heart. True? When the kingdom of heaven rules and reigns inside of us, even our motives are pure. And that's hard to get down to. We do the right things because we have right motives. 
So see, if you look at each one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Are we poor in spirit? Hmm. Do we give? Blessed are those who mourn. Hopefully we gather around those who mourn. And we try to comfort them. That's a little bit of the kingdom of heaven coming out. I still remember times, really the the times that happened most that, that just still gets me, is when I was in Papua New Guinea and my dad died. And people ministered to me. They came and they helped us pack up our house because we were getting ready to go back to the States anyway. And so we, we packed things up and they came and they helped us. Other missionaries did. I still remember sitting in my office. I was teaching at a uh, Bible college at the time. And I remember this big old national lady. She came in and she did something that's somewhat uncultural. She came in and she gave me the biggest bear hug. Sometimes the loving arms of God are manifest in a person. Blessed are those who mourn. The meek, are we willing to finish last? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That one's pretty self-explanatory. The merciful, are we willing to be distrusted because we give mercy? The pure in heart, again, our motives. The peacemakers, are we willing to take it on the chin to try and make peace? Blessed are those who persecute and are persecuted for righteousness. Are we willing to stand up and say, yes, I am a Christian. And you know what? I'll take that cosmic crutch. Because I need it. I'm not strong enough in and of myself. I'll take all the help I can get. Does the kingdom of God touch every part of our life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message that you gave. Thank you for helping us to understand even today, 2,000 years later, that your kingdom is in our heart and that it touches every part of our life and that every time that we display an attribute of the kingdom of heaven, We are displaying your kingdom. Father, help us to strive for that righteousness with pure motives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a linear thinker, let me just give you one little thought. You remember the old computers that were menu-driven? If you had to start over again, you always had to go back to point A and start over because things weren't line upon line, precept upon precept, which is biblical. Linear is biblical, but it's not totally biblical. 
In fact, Isaiah 28.10, linear thinkers like to quote, says line upon line, precept upon precept, and then they skip over the next part. Here a little and there a little, because that doesn't make any sense, right? You may have a child you're frustrated with because they're, they're not linear thinkers. They're mosaic thinkers. When Microsoft came out with Windows, it changed the world. No more menu-driven computers. It's awesome, and that's the way the kingdom of God is. But that's not the point. The point is the kingdom of God is opposite to the world. There's an old Southern Gospel song that said, I lost it all to find everything. I became a pauper to become a king. When I learned how to lose, that's when I learned how to win. You want to live life free of being offended? You want to cancel your citizenship to the offended states of America? Learn to live in light of God's kingdom. He's got this. Trust him. And whatever point of the sermon spoke to you today, run with it. Amen. It's all about him and his will being done and not mine, right? So our expectations are of him. Life becomes an adventure. Dive in and follow the Lord. Amen. Make your plans, but always submit them to him in prayer. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may you be a peacemaker. <laughs> as much as depends upon you, walk in peace with all men. God bless you. Go get them, tigers.